Guys, we're back to our study of um, the Apostles' Creed. And uh, here's, the, here's the clause that concerns us tonight. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Okay? There's the clause. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Gang, when we started this little um, um, series on the Apostles' Creed, I told you then that the early church faced two big issues, the two big theological battles. One of those battles was over Christology. Christology is a, is a you got ology on the end, you got Christ on the, it's a, it's a study of Christ. It's the person of Christ, that he was very God of very God and very man of very man. He was God and man in the same creature. That was, that was a big theological issue that the church faced. The second one had to do with the Trinity. Um, that, that God existed in three persons, et cetera, et cetera. So what you find early on in the Apostles' Creed is a, not simply, I mean, it's not really a Trinitarian statement, but it is a very clear statement as to the deity of Christ. I believe in uh, God the Father, Almighty, Maker, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Okay? Uh, that is a statement of his deity, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But you, what all I'm trying to point out is, the Apostles' Creed is trying to address the theological issues of the day. And the two biggies were Christology and, and, and the Trinity. And uh, to establish the Trinity, you've got to establish that Jesus is God. Um, or you've got to claim his deity. Now, gang, um, those theological issues are alive and well today. They're, um, they're, they're really, I mean... Um, Perhaps you've heard of um, the search for the historical Jesus. Have you ever heard of that? Um, I think it was called the que- Albert Schweitzer, but he was just the, uh, he was just the first in line. There's been about three of them, but Schweitzer wrote a book. I think his, the title of his book was "The Quest for the Historical Jesus," uh, and then David C. Strauss uh, uh, had one as well. So, uh, and here, here's what here's what the general premise is of those of those works. First of all, it is a it is an open denial uh, as to the deity of Christ. But here's what they say: Let's just take something like the virgin birth. Now we're going to look at that. I think it's uh, next week, Lord willing. Let's just take the virgin birth. And so these guys would say, "Well, you know, folks, how babies are made. There is no such thing as a virgin birth." Here, here, here's what happened. Um, one night. A group of Christians were sitting around a campfire. And they were just, you know, remembering fondly the, the, the days of his ministry, and now he's ascended. And, and somebody around the campfire says, You know, <laughs> Jesus was so wonderful that I think, <laughs> I think he could have been born of a virgin. <laughs> Everybody around the campfire, you know, kind of snickers. And then somebody muses on the other side of the campfire and says, yeah, you know, that really, really is exciting. Next night, there's another campfire. And that guy that was musing says, did you hear that Jesus was born of a virgin? Um, so that's how that got started. It was just around a campfire with a guy. But, so these, these other guys, um, uh, Strauss and, and um, Schweitzer, launched what they call the search or the quest, for the historical Jesus, the real Jesus. I mean, you know, with, 
without all that stuff, without all that stuff, you know, that's just kind of been encrusted on, on his person, you know, that stuff started around a campfire. But we're going to find and tell you who the historical Jesus is. Folks, um, you know that the third president of the United States, his name was Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson was what was called a deist. And Thomas Jefferson um, uh, launched his own Bible. Did you know that? I think it's in the, the Library of Congress, the, the Bible itself. But Jefferson has his own Bible. And, and so he took um, uh, a knife and scissors to the, to the New Testament to cut out all of those things um, that he knew uh, could not possibly be a part of uh, reality. And I think he ended up with, I don't know, 18 pages or something like that. I mean, it was just uh, not of excisions, but of, um, of what was left. And it's called the Jefferson Bible. It's the same pursuit. I'll give you another one. Um, back in the 80s and even into, the, even into this century, there was a thing called the Jesus Seminar. Did y'all ever see that? Um, oh, there was, a, there was a Roman Catholic guy. Uh, his last name started with a C. A, a, anyway, he led the thing. And here's what the Jesus Seminar did. They would get these scholars together, uh, these theological scholars, so-called, and um, they would have, you know, they'd be up there as a panel of, you know, experts and, you know, the really smart guys with the long things after their name and everything. And so they, they, would, they would take a passage of, uh, let's just say, the, the passage in Mark 10 about the rich young ruler. Um, and so they, they, would, they would vote. They would vote on whether or not uh, that really happened. And so they had beads. And I forget the color of the beads, but I'm just going to make that part up. Um, if, if it happened, they threw in a green bead. And if, 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 if it didn't happen, they threw in a red bead. And if it was a maybe, they put, they put in a, 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 an orange bead. Um, and so they would vote with the beads. And so they would come up with what really was the historical Jesus. Gang, that's the same debate that the early church faced right out of the chute. And so one of the ways that she addressed it is through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Now, gang, uh, uh, let me show you or let me explain to you how that is a, a statement of his deity. All right? You know what I mean by deity? That is that Jesus is God. That was important for the, the early church to establish. And so that's how they did it, in that, in that one clause there. Now, folks, here's how, it, here's how it happened, or here's what they did. They give you the name Jesus Christ. That is a combination of a proper name and a title. Jesus is his given name. You've heard of Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, that's his, that's his proper name. Um, Christ is a title. Uh, it's not so much a name as it is a title. And it is a title that is rich in theological significance. Gang, the, the Greek word for Christ is this one. Christos. Okay, Jesus Christ, there's Christ, there's the Christ part, all right? Um, that, that is a word that uh, means the anointed one, all right? 
Now, here's kind of the, the, the critical piece of information. I've done this to you before, but I hope, I hope it's profitable. Folks, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Everybody got that? The New Testament was written in Greek. About 300 years before Jesus was born, an Egyptian king called together 72 scholars, six scholars from every tribe of, of Israel. Um, called together 70 scholars. The, 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 um, the legend is that he put them in 72 different rooms. And he gave them the Hebrew Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and told them he wanted it translated into Greek. So what he did is, and it's really a pretty good method, you got 72 isolated scholars um, translating the Torah from Hebrew into Greek. The result of that work is a work called the Septuagint. Now, if you're a reader, you'll often find something like this. That means that. Uh, that's a, a, a Roman number for 70. There were, there were probably 72 scholars, but they rounded it off to 70 because there were six of them from each tribe. 12 tribes, six times 12, 72, you know, got it. Okay. So this was a cup, uh, the, the Torah was like 300 years before Jesus' birth or thereabouts. And then they translated the rest of the New Testament about 200 years. Or the, the, uh, the rest of the Old Testament uh, about 200 years before the birth of Christ. Okay. So when they went back to the Septuagint. Um, now, I, oh gosh, uh, for my, uh, understand that I'm not suggesting that the Septuagint um, is inspired. I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting that the New Testament writers, particularly Paul, uses the Septuagint, quotes the Septuagint quite a bit, three or four times. In the, in the, the thing, we're just going to put this uh, 200 B.C. When the Old Testament was translated into Greek, the word that translated the Old Testament Hebrew word Messiah was that one. So 300 years before Jesus ever showed up, scholars taking the Old Testament word Messiah, Mashiach, and they put this word in its place. So fast forward to the New Testament, and you've got a name combined with a title. Jesus of Nazareth. Christos. <laughs> title. Messiah. Gang, um, that, that might not impact you, but it impacted New Testament writers, as I said. Um, because they saw this, this, this title assigned to Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prediction of God's Messiah having arrived. So when you say Jesus Christ, what you're saying is his name is Jesus and he was 
the Messiah. Uh, a very clear, uh, uh, at least it was in the first and second century, a very clear claim to deity for this person, whose title was Christos. Now, gang, that's, what the, that's how the Apostles' Creed did it. That's how they made a, a, a claim of deity for Jesus, by using that name, Jesus Christ. All right? Now, um, I don't think I'm going to spend a whole lot of time on this because I think it would bore you to tears. Um, but you, do you know how we establish from the New Testament his claim to deity? There's all these things about, uh, you know, like in, um, where is it? Uh, well, I think it's in Mark 2. could be in Luke 5, but I forget. Um, where, where Jesus is in the house. And it was crowded, crowded house. Nobody could get in there. So these guys, they brought their, their buddy along who is paralyzed on a mat. And so they go up on the top of the roof. And so they take the roof shingles off and drop him down. And Jesus uh, looks at this guy on the mat and says, My son, your sins are forgiven. And uh, Jesus, knowing that his audience didn't like that, kind of claim because you see who can forgive sins but God alone say they and so Jesus responds to him and says now I know your truck this is problematic for you but just so that you might know that the son of man has an authority to forgive sins on the earth watch this rise get up and walk what was he doing the miracle was just establishing the claim that he has the right to forgive sins who forgives sins God does. You see, there's all kinds of that stuff. in the, and, and, and I don't want to take your time trying to establish the deity of Jesus. I want to show you one, other, one, one more. But uh, the New Testament clearly assigns deity to Jesus Christ. Now, that gets reflected in the Apostles' Creed in his name. Let me show you one more, and, I, and I'd love for you to see this one, because this is my favorite. It's in John 5. So if you've got a Bible around, on you or close to you, you can... Um, take a look at John 5. Guys, um, um, Albert Schweitzer and David C. Strauss, they all had troubles with um, the claim of Jesus to deity. But my point is simply, the audience to which Jesus spoke had no problems with his claim. They understood his claim very well. Look at it. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 20, excuse me, verse 18. Um, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, that was bad enough, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Gang, do you see my point? <laughs> this audience may have trouble with his claim to deity. And not believe it. And David C. Strauss doesn't even believe that you know there was the, uh, uh, any claims. Those audiences may have trouble. The Jesus seminar may have trouble. But the persons to whom Jesus is speaking knew exactly what he was saying. And that's why, folks, people didn't kill Jesus because he taught people to love one another. Jesus, people killed Jesus because of this claim to deity. And that was utterly repugnant. 
and not only repugnant, but unbelievable. And so thus you have all of these searches for the historical Jesus. You know, you sure couldn't do that. He sure couldn't be that. So we better find the real one. Well, the real one is right here, ladies and gentlemen, making these claims. And his, his audience to which he spoke knew exactly what he was saying. We hate you, not because you turn water into wine. We hate you because you're making a claim to deity. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Now, I kind of store that for a minute. We'll come back to it as we close. But there's all kinds of those things, folks, about... Um, uh, oh, I, I, I can tell you this one real quick. This is um, John 14. Um, you know, it's in that, that upper room discourse. And, um, you know, Jesus has washed their feet, and they've had this, this sacramental meal. And, and so Philip comes up to him and says, um, Okay, Jesus. Uh, we get it. You're not going to be here much longer. We're going to have to say goodbye to you. That's not going to be fun. We're real unhappy about that. But, but Jesus, I have one further request. Just if you, if you just if you just answer if you just do this for us, I'll be fine. Would you show us the Father? And Jesus says, Philip, 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 Philip. Have I been with you this long? And you didn't get it. Don't you know, Philip, that he who hath seen me hath seen the Father? The New Testament is full of that. I, I think I've told you this before, but when we were in seminary, I, um, we had toyed with the idea of um, going on to some place and, and um, starting a, a doctoral program right after seminary. We didn't, but I had already thought of my doctoral dissertation back then. And it was, um, I was going to do my doctoral dissertation on the messianic consciousness of Christ. You get that? Messianic. He knew who he was. Philip, Philip, Philip. I've been with you for three years and you haven't gotten it. Don't you understand? Do you see, Jesus knew who who he was and who he was claiming to be. If, you, if, if you've seen me, says Jesus, that's messianic consciousness. He was conscious that he was the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christos. God, he knew it. Remember um, in, um, when he was 12 and he got lost from his parents and um, you know they'd gone a day out and, and they couldn't find him. They looked for him for a day and then they got to go a day back. So three days, I mean, it, it, you, you can get really lost and get in trouble in three days. And so they run back to Jerusalem, you remember? And they find him in the temple. You remember what he said? You remember what he said? <laughs> um, he said, did you not know that I would be... By the way, he said this to Joseph and Mary. <laughs> he said, did you not know that I would be about my father's work? Oh, Joseph, I see you standing there, buddy, but you're not my father. <laughs> no, no, you're not it. My father is the one that is the, the Lord of this house. Do you remember the statements that, that he made about um, uh, uh, being the Lord of the Sabbath? Remember those statements? Um, do you know what that claim is, folks? That's, this is messianic consciousness. He says, you know, I, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Gang, do you understand that there's Ten Commandments? Did you understand that? There's ten of them. 
And um, one of them is really not a commandment, but it's in there. Because it wasn't a Sinaitic commandment. It wasn't given at Sinai. You know which one it was? It was the one on the Sabbath. Where did you get that one? You got that in Genesis 1 and 2. It was a creation ordinance. One day in seven, set aside for rest. So when Jesus claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath, he's claiming to be the creator. (laughs) That's messianic consciousness. He was aware of who he was. Guys, um, we got two or three more things to add to all this, but I just love this quote. Um, this is, I mean, you've heard it a thousand times, but I'm going to read you the whole paragraph. This is C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Um, this is the whole paragraph. I'm going to read the whole paragraph, all right? This is genius, genius. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying they're really foolish. Let me slow down. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him, his claim to be God. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mr. Schweitzer and Mr. Strauss, you idiot. Um, I, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Albert Schweitzer and David C. Strauss, that's patronizing nonsense. Jesus Seminar, that's patronizing nonsense. Because if we say the same kind of things that he said, and they're not true, he's a, he's a lunatic on the level of a poached egg, or one who calls himself a poached egg, or he's the devil of hell. So you got two options. You got to make a, you have to make a call. Either he's the son of God and God himself, or he's wicked. And so those are the only options you have. He didn't intend to give you a third one. So, I mean, you know, make your call. The Apostles' Creed made it. Now, um, I had something else I wanted to do, but we don't have time. I, got, I, got, I had two other things, but I'm going to do one of them and, and get through here on time. Okay. Um, <laughs> for some of you, um, and I get this, I, this is not, I'm not trying to uh, denigrate in any measure. 
Some of you find this to be very boring stuff. This is a bunch of theological, doctrinal dialogue and debate. Yes, it is. It is that. When you take on something like the deity of Christ, folks, you are in some... Because, as I told you, the early church has been facing this from, the, from her very inception. Been facing this issue as well as others. Uh, Trinity and Christology. So what I've just taught is some theological mishmash. <clears throat> it is theological. Deeply so. But. When you face a crisis, or as you approach death, and I come to your bedside to tell you that somebody has made a claim that he is the resurrection and the life. It sure would be nice to know, wouldn't it? That it was God who said that. You can chalk this up to all kinds of theological debates as you want, but I'm telling you, there's going to come a point in your life where you're going to need to know, you're going to want to know that the one who said that to you is God and not some poached egg. You're going to want him to be God. You know, guys, I do my share of funerals. And, you know, and, and one, of the, one of the themes, I've, I've done it in several funerals, is this whole idea where Jesus says, um, you know, I go to prepare a place for you. In my, house, my father's house, there's many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. And then he said, if that weren't the truth, I wouldn't have said it. It sure would be nice, wouldn't it? If the one who just said that was God. And so all of this discussion about the deity of Christ is going to come back to serve you. All of this rich theological truth that you're bored with now, it ain't going to bore you then. At least I hope not. You're going to want to know that the one who promises you resurrection and life is God incarnate. One other thing and I'll quit. When your husband walks out the door and leaves you, and I come in the midst of your tears and I say, but here's a promise for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's going to be good to know, isn't it? That the one who said that is deity. Because if I'm the one that said it, what good is that going to do you? But in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your rejection, in the midst of your own pain, to know that somebody who is God who has said to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you, then, ladies and gentlemen, you won't write it off as theological mishmash. In fact, 
It will be the pillow on which you lay your feverish soul. You're going to want it then. So it might be good to get it down good now. Because it can serve you in a million and one ways. Not just to be approvingly, submissively orthodox. But it's going to be a very practical issue in the midst of your fears and your pain. You're going to want to know that the things that I bring to your bedside or to your funeral are things that God said and not a poached egg. Let's quit. Heavenly Father, um, I do pray that you will exalt the Savior before our eyes tonight in all of the things that he said and all of the things that he claimed and all of the, the promises that he made, all of which point to the very truth claimed by the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus Christ is his only begotten Son, our Lord. We are people who... Um, who settle with way far too little. And so might this richness uh, overtake us. Might this be something where um, the heart is quieted, the fears are diminished, knowing that God incarnate has said some things that are very, very useful in the dark night of the soul. Thank you for um, keeping us safe. We pray for our brothers and sisters on the coast right now. And I pray that you will uh, use the church of Jesus Christ there to um, once again uh, step into the gap. And while doing so, point people to Jesus. We uh, make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.